and I'm Kendra Kruger. This is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, September 23rd, 2014. Coming up, Catherine Hayhoe, a climate scientist and a Christian, talks to us about the importance and difference between knowing and believing through both science and faith. begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. The Ebola virus has been in the news a lot lately, 2,300 deaths and counting, and over 80% mortality, and the experts predict an exponential growth in the number of cases. In last week's science magazine, Stephen Jouret of Harvard and his collaborators reported on the genetic characterization of Ebola from 100 different patients. They found and analyzed a lot of new mutations. They concluded that the virus causing the current epidemic diverged from previous strains around 2004. Then it moved from Guinea to Sierra Leone in May of 2014. Since then, all transmission has been human to human. They conclude their report by saying because many of the mutations alter protein sequences and other biologically meaningful targets, they should be monitored for impact on diagnostics, vaccines, and therapies critical to outbreak response. We don't know what kind of mutation would make it spread more rapidly, for example, by airborne transmission, but the Jire report clearly shows it is mutating a lot. So the sensible thing to do is to try to contain the epidemic sooner rather than later. Let's hope the UN and the World Health Organization can get past their bureaucratic hurdles to do this. Whether it's Gatorade or Muscle Milk or Accelerade, sports drinks generally have three things in common. One, they're sweetened beverages. Two, there's little scientific evidence that they're good for athletic performance. And three, they've got a huge customer base, in part because savvy marketers offer sports drinks as sponsors for sporting events. Now in the British Medical Journal, researchers from Australia have joined the chorus of scientists who urge sporting competitions to ditch sports drinks sponsorship. The researchers acknowledge that sports drinks don't compare with the unhealthiness of fast food, tobacco, or alcohol, whose companies are frequent sponsors of other sporting events. But they say, look at it this way. Beer commercials don't ever imply that drinking will make you win a running race. In contrast, sports drinks are usually marketed as beneficial or even essential for sporting prowess. The American Dietetic Association, Dietitians of Canada, and the American College of Sports Medicine have issued a joint statement which questions the health claims of sports drinks manufacturers. And while initially money might be lost if sports drink sponsorship gets ditched, the authors point out that the cigarette companies used to sponsor athletic competitions, and when those ads got banned and the smoke finally cleared, sports did fine. Craig Venter and his team at the Venter Institute became the first to create Synthetic Life back in 2010. This coming Monday, he'll be giving a talk entitled Life at the Speed of Light, focusing on inspiration, insights, and controversies involved with the study of synthetic life. It'll be Monday, September 29th at Mackey Auditorium, 7 p.m., and it's free to the public.
Sometimes I lay under the moon I thank God I'm breathing And I pray don't take me soon Cause I am here for a reason Sometimes in my tears I drown You are listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, and I'm Kendra Kruger. Two weeks ago, Dr. Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, a professor of atmospheric science at Texas Tech, came to town to speak at Chautauqua. As scientist and a Christian, she advocates for illuminating the urgency and reality of climate change to conservative and religious audiences. We had the opportunity to sit down and talk about the interconnections of faith and science and why so much tension exists between these two communities. All right, Catherine, welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. So tell us a little bit about your background. Well, my undergraduate degree was actually in physics and astronomy. But in the Canadian system at the University of Toronto, they let you take a lot of breadth requirements. So I was in third year and I was looking around for a breadth requirement that looked interesting. And I saw over in the geography department, they had a class on climate change. So I thought, oh, you know, that sounds interesting. Let's find out more about climate change. So I took this class and I was completely shocked that climate science is all physics. Almost all physics, I should say. There's a little bit of chemistry there too in biology, but all of my background had unknowingly completely prepared me to do exactly that type of research. Were growing up, were you also Christian? How do you, well, let me start with this. So how do you <laughs> identify? Because I've heard lots of different labels that put, people have put, over, whether it's conservative Christian or evangelical. How do you self-identify and what characterizes that? Um, I definitely identify as a Christian. Um, my dad is a science educator, um, but he's also very active in this local church. And so from an early age, I was brought up with the idea that nature is an expression of God, that if there was a creator that made this amazing universe that we live on and this incredible planet, that by learning about that world and this universe that we live in, we are, in a sense, kind of figuring out what God was thinking. So when did you start realizing that there was some friction between these two communities? Because for you, it seemed like it, it was always together. But then was there a point when you started seeing that other people maybe didn't see it the same way? It took me a long time to realize there was that friction because, again, growing up in a family where, where my parents are both teachers and my dad specifically was a science educator, I was taught all along that, that faith and science were completely consistent with each other. And if there appeared to be any cons- inconsistencies, it was because we didn't know enough in one area or the other or both. So it really wasn't until I moved to the States that I realized that there were such deep divides between science and faith on issues like the age of the universe and evolution and climate change. What is causing that rift between these two communities? Well, the rift goes way back in time. And in a sense, um, climate change is just a casualty of arguments and fights and debates that have been going on for decades and even centuries. To the point where, you know, if science, scientists say this, they must be wrong. <laughs> so what happens is I think when we have an overly narrow perspective on our faith or our science, that that is where the lines are drawn. That is where the trenches are dug. And that is where the battle begins. I see them as complementary rather than competitive. Some people think that religion provides I would call it really more faith, provides all the answers. Religion is, I see it as a little different than faith. Religion is a lot of the rules and constructs that we as humans have built up around our faith. 
So with religion, there's a lot of thou shalt X and thou shalt not Y, whereas faith is more about a personal relationship with God and how that affects you and your community and your perspective of people around the world. Um, so a lot of people feel that faith or religion answers all the questions, and a lot of other people feel like science can answer all the questions. But I think if we're really realistic about this, if we're really honest about it, I think we have to recognize as scientists that science cannot provide all the answers. Just for example, science is observation-based, and so while we have plenty of theories of what goes on outside our universe, we have no way of telling that because our universe defines the boundaries of what we can observe. And with faith, while we have descriptions of nature, for example, in the Bible, or whatever book it is that we use in our faith, we have to recognize those are not scientific texts meant to explain how the world works. That's what science can do for us. It reminds me of, of something you were saying in another interview where uh, you say you don't believe in climate change, but you know that it is something that exists. What's the significance of that terminology between belief and knowing? Well, I go back to the book of Hebrews in the Bible, which talks about how belief or faith is the evidence of things not seen. Science is exactly the opposite. Science is the evidence of things seen. We know that climate is changing because not only do we have global temperature records telling us it is, we have over 26,500 physical, biological, ecological indicators of a warming planet. That's how we know. It's the evidence of things we see. Whereas faith and spirituality is the evidence of things that we cannot see and we cannot observe and we cannot pin down and record in the lab. I think it's also important to emphasize, though, when it comes to climate change, that it's not a belief because it has people have deliberately tried to frame it as a green religion. Like you, I've been called, you know, the high priestess of Al Gore and things like that. People try to frame climate change as a blind um, religion where there's no evidence, there's no data, there's no science, you just drink the Kool-Aid and accept the belief. And, and climate change is exactly the opposite. Climate change is the evidence of things seen. It's not a belief. It is a conviction. It is a conclusion based on thousands of lines of evidence and not just decades, but even centuries worth of scientific research. You are listening to How on Earth, KGNU Boulder, Denver. We're talking with climate scientist Catherine Hayhoe. When you address more conservative audiences, what's the usual opinion of those crowds? So in Texas, four out of 10 people would agree that climate is changing and humans are responsible. Now, I think if you took Austin out of that sample, you'd probably end up somewhere around two out of 10. <laughs> so most of the groups that I go to speak to, I would say the majority of people there are of the opinion that if climate is changing that it, humans have nothing to do with it. And so that's why I feel like it's so important to talk to people about this because we have real information that shows that climate is changing, but that also shows how it's not a natural cycle to now, even though it was in the past. It's not the sun now, even though it used to be. It can't be volcanoes now, even though they have caused climate to change in the past. Humans are the only culprit, so to speak, that we can pin this on today. And that's important information we need to know. Because when we make decisions, whatever those decisions are, we should be making them based on accurate information, not based on false information. And so what sort of questions do you get from that audience? Well, when I first started 
again, you know, very naive as to what people were thinking. I got tons of questions on how do you know this is real? How do you know it's not a natural cycle? Um, didn't Aren't scientists just making this stuff up? Didn't those stolen emails prove it was all a, a hoax or conspiracy? But what I've done is I've developed um, the things that I say and the information that I present to the extent that now when I present to a conservative audience where most of the people are not on board with what I'm saying, at the end, I get two types of questions. Question number one is, isn't this going to hurt us economically to do something about it? You know, what about China? How, you know, how could we keep up competitively if we do something about that? That usually comes from the men. And then from the woman, I get, what can I do about it? Give me a list. I want a list. And so when that, when I get those type of questions, I know my job is done. Because I'm a scientist, I'm not an economist, and I'm not an engineer. Um, so getting people to the point where they're asking for solutions and looking for solutions is what I feel we can do. So where do you direct them next then? Well, that is honestly the hardest thing because there's no one perfect magic thing that we can each do. So what I recommend to people are two things. First of all, go online and find a good carbon calculator. Carbon calculators, you enter where you live, how big your house is, how many people live with you, how far you commute to work, how often you eat meat, how you dry your clothes, all that stuff. It tells you what your carbon footprint is. So why, how would you know that you were reducing your footprint if you didn't even know what it was to begin with? It's like if you're going to lose weight, what's the first thing we do? Step on the scale, right? And then, then figure out where we want to be. So figure out what, what our carbon footprint is and then set a goal of where we want to go. And if it's a good carbon footprint calculator, it'll give us 10, 20, 30 options of things that we could do. Pick the ones that are easiest. Number two is tell our elected officials that we care about this issue and we want them to address it. This holds true at the city level, at the state level, and at the federal level. So that's why one of my favorite organizations is Citizens Climate Lobby. It is a true grassroots organization. The people who started that have nothing to do with climate science or activism or NGOs. They're just people who looked at the information and said, why aren't we doing anything about it? So that's what I encourage people to do is, first of all, um, look at our own carbon footprint and what we personally can do. And then second of all, take the opportunity for the country that we live in to tell our representatives that we care and we want them to fix this problem. So then on the flip side, when you go to talk to a more scientific audience, have you had any difficulty bringing your science, your religious beliefs into those conversations? Um, as a scientist, we kind of leave our, our personal life, so to speak, at the door. So when I'm speaking at a scientific conference or a scientific meeting, I'm all about the science because that's what we're there for. It doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter what we believe. We all speak a common language of data, evidence, observations, theories, models, and conclusions. But I have to tell you, though, when, when my husband and I wrote this book together, which is called A Climate for Change, Global Warming Facts for Faith-Based Decisions, it's a book not for people who are already convinced of the reality of this problem. It's a book to give to Uncle Joe, who every time you go home for Thanksgiving says, I heard that global warming has stopped, or I heard that there's more ice in Antarctica now. That's who the book is for. So when I wrote that book with my husband, who is a pastor of a church, I was definitely nervous because as a scientist, we feel like we're often punching bags for uh, people of faith and for religious communities. 
Um, I get emails all the time saying you can't be a real Christian if you're a scientist and you're saying this stuff. Um, I got a pastor from Colorado tell me that if I repent from my hideous sins, that I actually have a chance to be saved. <laughs> yes. So um, when I, when I um, wrote this book with my husband, I felt to a certain extent almost as if I was coming out of the closet with my scientific colleagues that, um, that I was, you know, disclosing that I was part of this group that has treated us as scientists very poorly in the past and continues to do so. And I have to say, I was so encouraged by um, the the support and the reaction of my colleagues. I had people um, telling me that they actually did share my Christian faith. I had other people saying, I do not share your faith, but I support what you're doing. And that just means so much to me. So nowadays, I mean, for every email that I get or letter that I get saying, you terrible person, you, sh you shouldn't be a Christian, there is no God, you're believing a bunch of lies. For every letter like that that I get from, say, an atheist, I get, I hate to say, about 10 letters from Christians saying even worse things. Mm -hmm. So all that is to say people have been very supportive of my efforts from the, in the scientific community and many people within the Christian community too. It seems like there is somewhat of a backlash occurring in the scientific community against uh, religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's the, the conservative atheist group that's kind of like coming up and saying that religions or spirituality is not a positive thing for science or critical thinking. Well, here's the interesting thing. I have a colleague at Rice University called Elaine Eklund, and she's a, a sociologist, so she studies people. She actually studies scientists, and she studies scientists' spirituality. Now, it makes me a little nervous to be with her. I feel like a lab rat sometimes. I feel like she's observing me <laughs> whenever we're around each other. But I find her work fascinating because she has actually tackled this issue head on. Because there's certainly a perception that as scientists, we tend to be a pretty unspiritual, um, godless, maybe even robotic bunch. You know, our emotions on low, our intellect on high. <laughs> but what Elaine found was completely the opposite. She found that the majority of scientists considered themselves to be spiritual people and had some type of faith. It was not always the most conservative types of faith because science is often not welcome in those circles. And I have certainly felt that myself. But by and large, the majority of scientists would define themselves as spiritual people. And so I think that in and of itself reinforces the idea that science is not on one side of the divide and faith on the other. Rather, they are complementary ways of viewing the world and of understanding what it means to be human. It seems like that religion has a lot of aspects of, or in spirituality, aspects of introspection, empathy, compassion, and that these aren't elements that are particularly emphasized in the scientific community. Mm -hmm. Well, in fact, I was just reading a new book this week by a guy called George Marshall, who wrote about why our brains are wired to ignore climate change. Now, George Marshall came over to the States from the UK, and he did something really interesting. He visited churches, and he tried to figure out what it is that churches have that have so many people turn out to be and so committed to that organization that an issue like climate change doesn't. And so amazingly, he actually concluded, and he said, you know, very carefully, I do not share the belief of these churches, but he concluded that in the climate change uh, world, which is again dominated by scientists and by environmental NGOs, we are lacking those emotions of compassion, empathy, hope that inspire people 
for long-term change and to keep on going even when the odds seem against us. So in that sense, again, it's not like, you know, science meets certain needs over here and faith or spirituality meets other needs. It's like by meshing them, the whole may be greater than the sum of the parts. That was Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, atmospheric scientist and co-author of the book, A Climate for Change, Global Warming Facts for Faith-Based Decisions. For more information and a link to a talk she gave at Chautauqua, pull up our blog later today on howonearthradio.org. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Joel Parker. This week's show was produced by Kendra Kruger and was engineered by Maeve Conran. Additional contributions by Shelley Schlender. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler and additional music by Matas Yahoo. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Kendra Kruger. And I'm Beth Bennett.